thinking about or being mindful about what you eat every day can help global warming climate change. And that's something that all of us can do. Welcome to the podcast series for the Global Wellness Summit. I'm your host, Kim Marshall. This season was recorded live from the summit's fourth annual Global Wellness Trends press conference on January 28th in New York City. It's a special event designed to give insight into the $4.5 trillion global wellness economy and to share trends from their team of international forecasting experts. But as we sit here in mid-March, ready to post this season's new episodes, the world has certainly changed. We're all learning how to deal with the global coronavirus pandemic. Today's guest is Victor Ku, a Chinese billionaire and entertainment portal pioneer who has also co-founded Tianren Culture, a next-generation social platform that focuses on supporting social enterprises and impact investing to help foster positive lifestyle choices. One of Tianren Culture's core values is One Health, One Wellness, a message that really hits home in the current global climate as people are forced to reckon with the intimate interconnection of our globalized world. Baku's message is encouraging, not fearful. He tells us that more of these viral outbreaks are not inevitable in the future, at least not if we can change our excessive lifestyles and go back to a state of global equilibrium. Okay, what's Terran Culture? Terran Culture is a next-generation social platform, and we're focusing on two initiatives. Uh, one's One World, One Humanity. Another initiative is called One Health and One Wellness. Okay. And I related to health and wellness, basically, we've been focusing, doing a lot of health and public sector research on the major health issues and wellness issues, starting from China, but also comparing to best practices in Asia as well as the rest of the world. So you spoke today, here we are at the end of the special, special January 28th Global Wellness Trends press conference, you might say, and you were one of the speakers. Tell those who weren't here, what what was your mission? What were you trying to get across to the crowd? Well, when we went about doing this research, we're trying to identify what the major health issues are in China first. But then what we found is this whole idea of the connectedness and the interconnectedness when you look at health and wellness, whether from a human standpoint, whether you live in North America or you live in Asia, or how it impacts our planet Earth, uh, which is a space that we all share. That's a pretty big goal. Wow. Uh, that's not how it started. Okay. But it really, the research drove a lot of the insights and uh, all the interconnectedness uh, is very much driven by the data. Okay. So let's get back to your origin story first, though, Victor. Because sure. if someone just tuned in and they're saying, wait a minute, did I hear about that Victor Ku? Did I read about him on Wikipedia? What does it say here? And it says that you started uh, a website that exploded in popularity called Yuku, and it was the number 11 website in China. And uh, what did it do? And is it still doing it? Uh, it's still doing it. And uh, it's now part of the Alibaba group. Uh, which is the biggest in Oh, we've heard of China. Alibaba, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's a core asset of the Alibaba Entertainment Group. Uh, basically, it started 
very much like a YouTube of China, but as broadband broadened, it became a little bit like Netflix. Wow. So we have a combination of short form as well as long form videos. Uh, first on the on demand, and then over time also on a live basis. So, do you have a lot of storytellers, creatives that try to get on your platform on the platform? Sure. In yeah. the early days, there are a lot of people that are uploading uh, videos on our platform. Later on, we actually proactively started working with television stations and film companies as the content became longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And then we also started to have original content uh, very early, actually before. House of Cards at Netflix that we actually produce our own uh, shows. How many years ago? Uh, I think it was back in 2009 when we started doing our and, own shows. And how were your shows or was the you know entertainment on that channel mm. um, different than anything in America besides being in Chinese? I think it's uh, more <laughs> short form at that point and a lot more organic web-based uh, because when you see the shows on Netflix, they're very similar to this uh, broadcast content as if it's a TV serial drama. Mm -hmm. Whereas what you saw on Yoku were a lot more targeted towards the millennials and the younger demographic, which were our primary audience. And so they tend to be a lot more edgy, uh, a lot younger, and uh, even different language, different way of really presenting ideas. How fun. And what Mm. was Tudo? How do you say it? Tudo is also a video sharing uh, platform that actually started before Yoku. And uh, we merged with uh, Tudo back in 2012. Oh, so it merged. Okay. Yes. Now tell us your journey. You were educated. You're from Hong Kong, one of my favorite cities in the world. Thank you. So uh-huh. exciting. I said, when I finally went there, it was so long ago, but I remember thinking... My whole life, I have been looking this direction and only seeing this part of the world. And then when I went to Asia, I felt like I turned around, there was a whole world behind me that I didn't know existed. And the people, so delightful, so, you know, international. So how did those roots help you on your journey? Um, Hong Kong is really a combination of East and West in many ways. And uh, I was born there and uh, went to primary school and part of secondary school there. Yeah. And then actually went overseas for a very long period of time in Australia and here in the United States as well. And uh, Hong Kong, because uh, it was a British colony when I was growing up, uh, so there were a lot of European influence. Of course, the culture itself inherently is still very Asian. So it's a combination of uh, Eastern and Western cultures. Yeah. And I think too, when I went there, I couldn't believe my girlfriend worked six days a week. It was just normal. You worked on Saturday. What's wrong with you? You took a lot of vacation. You, you took yeah. your vacation seriously, but you worked so hard. And I mean, I can't help, but ever all over your press online is that Mr. Ku is a billionaire. Don't you think that that energy that came from living in this bubbling place mm-hmm. was one of those, sure, kind of enablers to let you do what you dreamed to do? What do you think? Well, the other thing about Hong Kong is because, partly because it's a British colony, most people just focus on the business and the economic side of things because you can't really get involved in politics. And so that became actually part of the culture, uh, which I think, in my mind, is actually a pro-anacon. Yeah. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. It's changing now, but we it's won't get into that. It's very much changing now. <laughs> we yeah. won't get into that. But then you came to Berkeley and Stanford, yes. right? Mm. And then what happened? After you graduated. So the 10 years I spent here, especially in the U.S., was mostly actually out of uh, the Bay Area. 
And uh, I think the great part, you know, both the Berkeley and the Stanford experience is the really the startup culture. Uh, when I left college, I actually worked in a management consulting firm called Bain Company. Oh, yeah. And so we fo- focused mostly on kind of Fortune 100 companies, right? Like Samsung, Nestle, those were my Already clients. established, right? Yeah. And so uh, as I went to business school, I got exposed a lot more to the entrepreneurial side and venture capital side of the business. And that's what got me excited about actually moving back to Asia. Because the whole idea of doing venture capital, which was what I wanted to do after business school, It was very limited. If you don't have experience in venture capital, once you get out of business school, it's actually not that easy to get in. Oh. And But at that point in time in history, and this is really mid-90s, uh, at that point in you time, young, Victor. I venture capital <laughs> was like pretty, pretty early. And uh, we were uh, the firm I was with called Richina Capital was one of the earliest uh, venture capital firms that were on the ground in China at the time. So you went from venture capital to somehow getting early portals for entertainment. Mm. How in the world did you end up at Wellness? Wellness um, was certainly a personal interest, both on the on the mind and mental side, because psychology is some, an area that I've always been fascinated in uh, since college or even before. And uh, mm-hmm. over time, um, you know, one of my focus right now is diet and nutrition. Diet and nutrition. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's an area in terms of uh, eating well, Uh, that's a very important part of a, a happy and healthy lifestyle. It is. It's an important part of life, just exactly. in general. Yeah? Exactly. So I heard you this morning talk about you know the the need to understand nutrition and the realities of the chain, and one of them is the biggest cattle raising country is Brazil, and there's a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. But the biggest importer of that beef is China. Yes, forty five percent between China and Hong Kong. But when I was in China, well that way back when, when I told you I visited Hong Kong, I realized people are so thin and they're eating so healthy. But anytime the Western culture starts seeping in with processed foods, so do you think you're at a starting point with building awareness for Chinese, the Chinese population on health and wellness? Well, you're absolutely right to say that um, Eastern diets tend to be more plant-based. Right. And but as income level increases, as the data I showed this morning, uh, in terms of you know the amount of vegetables uh, the average Chinese eat now, and the average amount of meat, it's actually 50% less vegetables and 50% more meat oh. than actually the dietary guidelines, and that has been actually deteriorating over the last decade. That's sad. It's really sad. We're in America trying to eat the Chinese way, and they're going our way, right? Yeah, if you look at the best practices actually in Japan and in Mediterranean countries right. like Spain, Italy, and and uh, Greece, really, um, where they have the longest uh, lifespan. Right, blue zones. Exactly. The blue zones uh, where there's the highest density of uh, people living over 100 A lot of them are actually in these countries with Mediterranean diets and, and Okinawa and Japan, which also has a fantastic diet. And if you look at the um, basically the root causes of major uh, health problems as well as the leading causes of death, whether you're talking about heart disease or stroke or uh, lung cancer, 
basically over 50, uh, precisely is actually 53% of the root causes according to the global burden of diseases is actually diet and nutrition related. Did you say 50%? 53%. Oh my God. And the second is 16% is smoking, right? So oh. diet and nutrition, whether it's things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high BMI, obesity, uh, I didn't show today because of lack of time. There's a chart that shows uh, the obesity level globally back in the 1970s versus 40 years later. The obesity and, and, and level. And it's like you know, 40, 50 years later. It's sad to see how obese the world has changed to. Uh, basically, it started in a map. Basically, the color gets worse and worse as you get more and more obese. It used to be mostly white, yellow, light red. Now it's mostly moderate to high red. What? The, uh, the obesity level, which oh indicates it's really, really dramatic when you see the changes that's happened in the last 35, 50 years. Victor often points out that as a result of economic development, the health and wellness issues we face globally have fundamentally changed. In China, for example, the top five leading causes of death are now exactly the same as they are in the U.S., most driven by lifestyle choices, such as diet and smoking. Wow, a flexitarian, huh? I might just have to try that. And now, fittingly, a few words from Rancho La Puerta, the original destination spa in North America and an oasis of well-being for nearly 80 years. Rancho La Puerta is the original wellness resort and spa in North America. And uh, guests come to us for a, typically a seven-night stay where they immerse themselves in our mind-body-spirit program. And what we do is we take care of them from the moment they step on property. And when they leave us, they're truly transformed. What are the sort of elements that you think make a transformation possible in seven days? What, what is sort of the recipe? At Rancho La Puerta, it's 4,000 acres of uh, nature sanctuary. We are located at the base of a sacred mountain. It's eating food that is grown in a, a very vital soil that is uh, lots of love and good ingredients in it that then you're getting to put in your body. It's movement. It's having access to 50 fitness classes and activities in a day. And finally, it's community. You know, it's knowing that you're with like-minded people. It's kind of like going to adult summer camp. <laughs> Everybody gets on the bus at the same time. Mm -hmm. Everybody leaves at the same time. And all our meals are communal. So you're getting to see the same people. And with every day that goes by, the shoulders drop, the tension melts away. And you start to, the real person starts to immerse, um, emerge, mm -hmm. rather. And that community, I hear that often when I'm walking by people, by guests, and they'll say, okay, I'll see you next year, same time, same week. It's amazing. So I think it's that recipe of all those things that make for a really transformative space. All right. Well, here we are at the Global Wellness Summit event, right? It's the Global Wellness Summit podcast. And this is kind of the motherload of research and trend reporting for the wellness industry. And you guys are the... Mac Daddy, Grand Mommy of all the wellness resorts. <laughs> what do you feel is the ranch's responsibility as a legacy place for the industry? Well, I mean, I think that what Rancho La Puerta has done really well for the last 80 years is be true to itself. It's, it's very authentic. 
and it has stuck to its DNA. And its DNA starts in um, respecting the earth, believing um, in what you put in your body and the movement aspect of it. And I think we should feel responsible for keeping that vision intact because no matter how old that is, it's still relevant. It's it relevant works. even more today maybe than it was 80 That's years right. ago. That's right. So I would say that we need to continue to do that and get better and better at it as our motto is siempre mejor, always better. And if we're true to ourselves, we can only guide the way forward for the rest of the industry. I mean, there's going to be trends that, that come and go, trends that stay and don't. And we just have to do what we do and keep well, doing it better and better. Well, let me just tell you one thing. I've been going there since 1989, off and on. And it is siempre mejor. Is that how you say it? Siempre mejor, always better. Always better. Every yeah. time I've ever gone, and I'm not just saying it, it oh. I feel it. Thank you. So dear listeners, if uh, <laughs> if you are ready to make a new reservation at Rancho La Puerta, please mention code RLPGWS, pretty simple, and you will receive $250 off your visit. Wow. So, do it now. Don't do it now. Don't, don't wait. wait. <laughs> Change your life. Sempre mejor. <laughs> As of this posting, Rancho La Puerta has announced that out of an abundance of caution due to the coronavirus pandemic, Rancho La Puerta will be temporarily closed until Friday, April 17th, 2020. Please check out RanchoLaPuerta.com for updates. The timing of the posting of Victor's interview also coincides with the launch of the Global Wellness Institute's new Positively Well campaign. It's an online resource that positively addresses COVID-19. It includes things like studies on how optimism builds the immune system and expert articles on how to lead well during this pandemic and beyond. This campaign will also conduct mega Zoom conference calls for wellness economy segment executives, all about the business of wellness during this pandemic. Our thanks to Susie Ellis and Nancy Davis and the Institute for providing a resource to help us all lead with facts and not fear, with optimism and proactive wellness during such an unprecedented time. And there is no better time to encourage family, friends, and colleagues to focus on building healthy lifestyles. Lifestyles that will improve not just their health, but the health of our world. Now join me, please, as we listen to Victor Koo tell us about his passion for ways that lifestyle changes can truly impact the future of our planet. And you know, when you realize, when you read the statistics, I haven't read them in a while because they're depressing, but I used to read that 300,000 people a year die of obesity-related causes. The number's probably higher. I have the hardest time. I have like Tourette's that I see someone, I feel like saying, I can help you. Do, do you really want to change this? Because there's ways we can do it. <laughs> and it's just because it's, you know, I want you to stay alive. I'm sure you feel the same, right? Absolutely. I mean, what's unfortunate is that the whole situation globally is really in balance. We've got 2 billion people on Earth that are actually eating too much, that are <laughs> overweight, 
And there are over 800 million people in the world that's malnourished, which continues oh to be the number God. one global health problem. Malnourishment? Yeah, but you look at countries here in the U.S. and also increasing in places like China. Mm. Dietary problems as well as high BMI are actually the number one health risk now. <sighs> and that's contributing to uh, a lot of health problems for humans. But at the same time, unfortunately, it has a tremendous impact on environment as well. See, isn't that crazy? You might have your big gulp and eat your processed food, but you're hurting the earth as well. Or you might have two times or three times more meat than you need, but you're hurting the earth as well. That's a shocker. Yeah, I didn't know that before we did the research that we did on health. Because we started with thinking about uh, health, but then we realized planetary health is actually highly related in the area of diet, nutrition, food, and agriculture. Because the amount of greenhouse gas that red meat produce is 10 times more than plant-based foods. Crazy. And as I showed this morning, 60% of the people on Earth, the 7.5 to 8 billion people on Earth, actually live in Asia. And if Asian eating happens change... That's going to cause a lot of problems. The red ripple meat effect. Causes, I mean, that's already happening in China <sighs> and will likely happen in India and Indonesia and countries like that. And when that happens, the environmental um, changes, the global warming implications are very dramatic. This is such serious stuff, and I'm so glad that people like you are thinking about it. Um, I, I live in L.A., and so they say, as Hollywood goes, so goes the world. And I laugh so hard that at the Golden Globes, they said, we have a plant-based menu for the dinner. Not that anyone chews on camera, but today they annou- or last week they announced that um, the Oscars will have a plant-based menu. You know, for the dinner after not that anyone needs it. But how great, you know, we're making some headway. And then there's a um, documentary, I think it's called Groundbreaking or Grand- Groundbreakers, about athletes on plant-based. Oh, Game Changes. Oh, sorry, thank yes, you. Yes, Game, Game Changes, Changes by James Cameron. Yeah, on uh, how it helps an athlete's body to be plant-based. Now, listen, I think it's okay to a little meat, everything in balance. But are you in China making any headway? Are they taking it seriously? your enlightenment about wellness? Well, first thing, we're trying to propose a flexitarian diet, which is not necessarily 100% vegan or vegetarian. Did you say flexitarian? Flexitarian or plant-forward diet. Oh, okay. Basically, the emphasis is 80% plant-based, and then you can, minority, say 15 to 20%, you can supplement it with animal-based protein. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is to have more mass adoption. Um, the initiative of driving towards veganism and uh, vegetarianism, I think, works for some people. Some, yeah. Maybe 10 to 15% of the yeah. population. But if you want a much wider adoption, it's going to be a lot more difficult if you are insisting on 100% veganism. But when you're thinking about 80% plant-based, one, you realize it's good for your body, right? You want to avoid heart disease and strokes and yeah. cancers and, and things like that. This is good for you, but... Increasingly, and we see a lot of young people actually changing the diet because they understand the environmental implications uh-huh. of eating red meat. And they're changing their diet so that most of what they eat, and not necessarily all of what they eat, actually plant-based. So vegetables, fruits, legumes, and so forth, which are good for the body. And Certainly good for, good for animals. Yeah. And also good for the planet. And that's why we frame it. It's called you know One Health and One Wellness. And One Health is actually a UN terminology where there's a convergence between human health, animal health, and planet health. That is emotionally 
encouraging to me. But I will tell you, I was, uh, I didn't eat beef, pork, anything like that. I did eat chicken and fish for 20 years. Didn't eat it. I didn't want it. There was no reason. You know, my roommate did, so I thought, oh, that's a good idea. And then all of a sudden, 20 years later, I went to the doctor and he's like, you're so anemic. You're super anemic. In fact, your ferritin is the lowest I've ever seen. I think it was down to 2.6. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but it's pretty serious. I had to have 20 weeks of iron infusions. And then a year later, get super iron shots. Now it's okay, but guess what? I eat meat once a week. I'm sorry, I do it. And I don't have any problem. Who knows what it was? Well, you mentioned blue zones. Actually, when you look at the blue zones, these places generally eat a plant-based diet, but they actually eat meat during holidays. Oh. So that about 15 days a year Yeah. where they celebrate together and they eat meat together. Yeah. Whereas the regular staple diets, it's 100% all mostly plant-based. Right. Well, let me ask you, you know, there's so much misinformation and you have eyes on Asia that we don't really see. So what is our, what is the virus now, the coronavirus? Coronavirus, yes. There's a, is it a myth? Is it, you know, swirling news that they eat wild animals and that's where it started? What is Mm. your, what is your thought on that? Well, a lot of these uh, flu as viruses are actually animal related. Animal oriented. Right. I mean, what's swine flu? Bird flu. Yeah, med cow disease. So all kinds of animals, you know, in, in a way it's a karma, right? So you eat animals and then there are actually certain toxins and permutations of flus and viruses are formulated through eating these animals. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think? Do you think the future is a lot more epidemics like this or do you think we could intercept it? I'm not saying this is an epidemic, but you know, a lot mm. more sure. rapid spread of viruses like this or what do you think? Well, I think if we do limit meat consumption, I think more responsible farming, a lot of these things will happen naturally. We'll get better naturally. Yeah, because industrial farming is a really big part of the problem as well. It is the eating habits. Oh. What people don't realize is their eating habits have all kinds of health implications. Oh my goodness. That Food. goes from non-communicable diseases and these viruses or coronaviruses that are viral and they are formulated through uh, animals and the consumption of animals. So it goes from animals to humans and then humans to humans. So it's all, it's, we're living in one world. I mean, all of us, uh, not just humans, all beings are interrelated and we're in an ecosystem where things, when things are not in an equilibrium, bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, our time is almost up, but what I wanted to ask mm. you is we were thrilled to hear that you may be a part of the wellness moonshot yes. that the Global Wellness Summit is putting on. You might represent Asia and China. What, what does that mean to you? For those people who are listening that might not have heard of it. Well, I think the whole idea of helping to prevent non-communicable disease is a very noble one. And what our initiative in terms of promoting healthy lifestyles, especially in diet and nutrition, is far very consistent to that vision. And then Terran Culture obviously have a, because of my background, a lot of media communications capability in new media. And we hope to be able to contribute to change the narrative and change the way that people think about how to live a more healthy life. That's not just good for uh, each person individually, but also globally. Because we eat every day, and it and it was a surprise to me that out of all the greenhouse gases, like food and agriculture, makes up about 
24%, about a quarter of all the greenhouse gases. And I used to think that, you know, obviously fossil fuel is about 25% in terms of energy. And I used to think transportation was really big. And food and agriculture is actually bigger than transportation oh as a source of greenhouse gases. And so, you know, thinking about or being mindful about what you eat every day can help global warming climate change. And that's something that all of us can do. Well, I am so excited to think that a guy who founded something like YouTube slash Netflix of China can use his communication skills to help spread the message of taking control of your own well-being. Victor, we're excited. Welcome to the tribe. (laughs) (laughs) Excited too. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. It's no wonder that Victor Ku is the new strategic partner representing China for the Global Wellness Institute's Wellness Moonshot, a world free of preventable disease. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to get together again.